Welcome to the preaching ministry of Port St. Lucie Bible Church. We are a Christian church whose goal is to faithfully preach Christ from Scripture so that we might better love and serve Him. We pray that this message from God's Word would engage your mind with the truth and inspire your heart to obey Christ. Here's today's message. If you would, please open your Bibles to Haggai. Haggai will be the, the third to the last book of the Old Testament. So if you go back to, to the beginning of the New Testament with Matthew, uh, previous to Matthew is Malachi, that's a short one, then Zechariah, and then Haggai. Third from the end. Haggai was an Old Testament prophet who prophesied. That means that God spoke directly to his people through Haggai. Uh, and that was during the rebuilding of Jerusalem's temple in the year of about 520 B.C. Actually, it was 520 B.C. We have uh, the reign of Darius, and we know exactly when this occurred. We don't know a whole lot about Haggai personally, uh, but we do know that he was a contemporary of Zechariah whom we know from our previous studies in Zechariah chapter 4, predicted the building of a, of a distant future temple that would be built, not by might, nor by power, but by God's Spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Zechariah, you may remember, uh, had that vision. He had the vision of the lampstand with a golden bowl, uh, there were two olive trees that were feeding the lamp with oil, right? And following that vision in Zechariah 4, in Zechariah 6, he prophesied that, that a man would come whose name would be Branch. This branch would be both a king and a priest, and when he finished building or when he finishes building his temple we're told that he will bear the honor and sit and rule on his throne so uh, who is this branch who, who is the branch whom Zechariah describes as branching out across the whole earth to build one grand final magnificent temple of the Lord God of hosts well, your suspicions are right. That, that branch is Christ himself. And as we saw together during our scripture reading from the prophet, uh, really the priest Ezra, Haggai, well, he's a sidekick. He's a, he's a sidekick to Zechariah. Or, or maybe it's Zechariah is a sidekick to Haggai. We consider one the Lone Ranger, the other would need to be Tonto. It might be Batman and Robin. And together they began their ministries uh, both in the second year of the reign of Darius, who was the king of Persia. Now if you're maybe a little new to church there, uh, you may have never heard the backstory to all of this. Uh, Due to Israel's unfaithfulness to the Mosaic Covenant, God allowed Jerusalem to be besieged 
by a Babylonian ruler. His name was Nebuchadnezzar. And Jerusalem was left in ruins. And we are told, we'll learn next week, that the, the temple was left desolate. Actually, it was completely demolished in 586 B.C. And the southern kingdom of Judea, they, they were carried off as prisoners into that Babylonian empire. They were exiled out of the land, and they remained in Babylon as captives for 70 years. That's kind of the backstory. It's during that period of captivity that, that we get all the wonderful material from the prophets, Ezekiel and Jeremiah, at least the end of Jeremiah's prophesying. Daniel announcing that God would introduce a new covenant. It would come through a Messiah, the prince. We get that from Ezekiel, Jeremiah, and Daniel, all speaking of this, of this same branch. Still, before this, this Messiah would come, and before a new covenant would be ratified, Jerusalem's temple was going to have to be rebuilt. It had to be. And following a, a favorable decree of a, a new king who arose, a new king who conquered Babylon, he was the king of Persia, uh, named Cyrus, Zerubbabel, he was a governor in Judea. This man, Zerubbabel, led God's people into building a foundation of a new temple, a rebuilt temple of the Lord. The problem that arose was that the building project, it ran into stiff resistance from some of Israel's enemies. And according to the prophet Ezra, then the enemies who were in the land discouraged the people of Judah and frightened them from building. It's at Ezra 4, verse 4. R.C. Sproul correctly attributes attributes this delay to both opposition from the outside and a resistance from within the people of God. A discouragement from within that caused God's people to, to abandon the building project. The topic of discouragement, that's a whole separate narrative that we don't have time to go into today. Uh, but let's just say that after that foundation for a temple had been laid, uh, they didn't finish the job. They didn't get busy. And that job site sat idle for 16 years. Now, an unfinished temple or an unfinished building uh, might not sound like a real big deal to us. right? We're, we're super spiritual Christians and we recognize that that buildings are just completely optional to Christian worship. Well, that is unless it's hot or rainy or cloudy or windy. Um, then, then we suddenly decide that maybe there is a place for buildings today in Christianity. But with Israel, that building, that tabernacle, that temple, it was not optional. Under the conditions of the old covenant that was ratified at Mount Sinai with Moses, the building was integral 
to worship. They had to have a building to be in covenant with the Lord, to remain in covenant with the Lord. Um, he had, God had made a old covenant, a Mosaic covenant, but he had conditions attached to that. If Israel did not fulfill the conditions, well, what happened? Well, they got exiled. They disobeyed and they got, they got thrown out of the promised land. That is what happened when they went to Babylon. Folks, if there is no temple, that means that there is no holy of holies in which the high priest could enter annually on the Day of Atonement. And the New Testament book of Hebrews reminds us that according to the law, all things are cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. The absence of the temple is one of the reasons that Jews can't practice Judaism today. They have no temple in which to offer a sacrifice. The ultimate reason is that Christ himself has become the sacrifice, thereby making the old covenant, according to Hebrews 8, verse 13, obsolete. Because after God's Son was crucified and he died for sins on the cross, not just for Jews and not only for Gentiles, but for all who would come through faith, and believe in Jesus Christ as Messiah, there is no other sacrifice for sins remaining. There is no alternate way to have sins forgiven. Christ has become the final sacrifice once for all sins, validated through his resurrection from the dead. And once Christ ratified the new covenant in his body, well, God employed the Roman armies due to the disobedience and the rejection again by Israel. God employed the Roman armies to put a stop to sacrifice and grain offerings uh, through the desolation of the temple again in 70 AD. The new covenant has made the old obsolete. And God in his infinite wisdom has made it so that the Jews can't even practice Judaism today. Instead, ethnic Jews share family traditions. They talk about the past. They ignore atonement or covering for sins because they don't have a, they don't have a mechanism in place to do that. They don't experience atonement for their iniquities because sins cannot be forgiven through any other means except for the substitution of Christ on your behalf. That he was the perfect sinless sacrifice who bore your sins in his body. You must believe in him. But when Haggai prophesied, When Haggai began prophesying in 520 B.C., 
Israel's faith for atonement of sins, it was still integrated with the Mosaic law. They knew a righteous branch would come who would build a temple in a far-off distant future, but in their present reality, in 520 B.C., they still needed priests. They needed a brazen altar. They needed a holy of holies. And therefore, a temple had to be rebuilt. Under the Old Covenant, this project became mission critical. Folks, they, they were sitting uncovered. They, they were exposed. They were not under the protection of God's covenant. They had failed to fulfill the conditions for Israel to even remain in the promised land now that they have returned. They aren't fulfilling the conditions to experiencing the blessings in the land. It all hinged on their obedience to and their observance of the Mosaic law. And the message is that you must recommit yourself. Commit yourself to your covenant or your offspring may be carried off captive into the nations again. Did that happen? Oh, it did. It did. At this time, the foundation had set bare for 16 years. Uh, to, to put that in a little bit of perspective, just relational perspective, not a parallel. That's a long time of skipping church. I know some of you have missed, yeah, but 16 years is a long time to be skipping church. So what do you suppose God's going to do about it? And what do you suppose God's people have been busy doing with all of their time for those 16 years? Uh, what had God's people been busy with? <laughs> oh boy, you're going to have to come back next week to figure that out. Or you can read ahead if you can't wait that long. But I can tell you this, they had not been busy at the Lord's work. And their families were facing peril because of it. And if you abandon the work of God, do you think that there might be consequences for a nation? So what do you think God's going to do? What's God going to do about this conundrum? Well, in Haggai chapter 1 and in verse 1, that's as far as we'll get today, but I'll read it now. God's going to, like, he's going to toss them a life preserver. It's going to be in the form of his word. The opening verse reads, in the second year of Darius, the king, on the first day of the, notice, sixth month, the sixth month, the word of the Lord came. Came by the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, the, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judea, 
or Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, uh, he was the high priest. Haggai reveals that God has something to say. Turn your Bibles just <laughs> three pages to the right. Maybe four, depending upon the size of your print. Three pages to the right to Haggai's sidekick, Tonto. I mean, Zechariah. You know what I'm talking about. Zechariah chapter 1. These are the two prophets who worked together hand in hand. Uh, try not to forget that as we study through Haggai. Only two months after sending Haggai, God, God speaks again. In Zechariah 1 verse 1, there we read, in the eighth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to, the, to Zechariah the prophet, the son of Berechiah, the son of Idu, saying, the Lord was very angry with your fathers. Therefore say to them, Thus says the Lord of hosts, return to me, and I will return to you. Folks, when God sends his word, it's a sign that he is going to do something great. God's word will not return void, we are told by the prophet Isaiah. The Lord Yahweh is his name. That's his covenant name with his people. The Lord Yahweh speaks through Isaiah saying this, quote, So will my word be which goes forth from my mouth, for this is how it will be. This is how my word will be going forth from my mouth. God says, It will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which it has been sent. It's Isaiah 55, 11. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God's word, when it goes forth, will not return void? Ooh. Jonah sure did. It's one of the reasons that the prophet Jonah was so reluctant to travel to preach in Nineveh. This, this congregation studied through Jonah uh, in 2017. We got to go through that book. And uh, there we discovered, or then we discovered, that Jonah's reason for boarding a ship to flee to Tarshish, the opposite direction of Nineveh, because in chapter 4, Jonah confessed this to Yahweh. He says, It was because I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. See, the Assyrians, they, they had been a long-term enemy with Israel, uh, Nineveh was their capital. So this was about uh, going to the Assyrians, and the message was that God is compassionate. And Jonah knew when, when God sends his word 
that God is prepared to show his greatness, uh, even among those who had previously been God's enemies. It may be greatness in judgment from time to time, but when Jonah received a command saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, Jonah knew that more often when God speaks, he offers compassion. But folks, if we just had as much faith in God's word as Jonah, if we expected in the same way for that word to work, what might God do? In only three days of preaching, God saved an entire city from destruction. Think what it might do for a nation. Jesus stated in Luke chapter 4 and verse 19 that with his proclamation of the gospel, that this has become the favorable year of the Lord. And that we should expect that the proclamation of God's word would supply release to the captives. Specifically those who remain captive in sin. Folks, God's word is so powerful. So incredibly powerful. So much so that when it is announced, we should immediately anticipate that something great is going to happen. Yet in Matthew chapter 17, Jesus' disciples had, had experienced failure in ministry. They came to Jesus and they asked him privately, because it's so embarrassing. They asked Jesus, why? And I challenge each of us here to discover what this saying means. Maybe make a connection. Jesus replied to them, It is because of the littleness of your faith. For truly, for truly, I say to you, you have faith the size of a mustard seed? You will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Jesus appears to, to blame how his own disciples weren't really expecting anything to happen. Are you? The moving of mountains, it's, it's figurative language, forms a pictorial illustration from the Old Testament. It finds its fulfillment in Christ in the new. It originates in Isaiah, then it is used later by Zechariah, where God says to Zerubbabel, again that governor of Judea, 
not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. What are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you will become a plain. The hands of Zerubbabel had laid the foundation of this temple. Oh, and his hands are going to finish it. When God says he is going to build a temple, it's going to happen. And through our, our words of our current prophet Haggai, God is going to declare to his people, you know, the Lord of hosts, he's a temple builder. That is what he does. And you have abandoned your work for long enough. And when the Lord is building, he's prepared to move mountains for you. But you've at least got to have a little bit of faith. Do you ever expect God to work through you? No? Maybe that's why. Got to have at least a little faith. Because without faith, Hebrews 11 tells us it's, well, it's impossible to please God. But God is a rewarder to those who diligently seek him. Is there any question here what the Lord's people need to do? In the Old Testament, God spoke. And by faith, Noah prepared an ark for the salvation of his household. Sarah herself received ability to conceive uh, even beyond the proper time of life. I don't even remember how old she was. She was old. But she conceived since she considered God as faithful to what he had promised. By faith, the Israelites passed through the Red Sea as though they were passing through on dry land. But the Egyptians... When they attempted to do the same, they were all drowned. Look what a little faith does. So once God's word will be declared by Haggai, seeing this pattern, once God's word's declared by Haggai, what do you believe is going to happen? What are you expecting is going to be the result. How do you think that God's people are going to react to the word? Do you believe that they are going to recommit themselves to the building of the Lord's temple? Or do you believe that the word of God returns void? You know, we too enjoy a, a community of believers who are in a covenant relationship with God. It's through the body and the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ 
And when we partake in the Lord's Supper, we recall our Lord said to his disciples, take and drink. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. So every time that we partake in the Lord's Supper, we are reminded of Hebrews 8, verse 6, that we are recipients of a new and a better covenant which has been enacted on even better promises. It's better. Who doesn't want better? Do you then conclude that when attention is given to the public reading of Scripture, do you conclude that God's about to do something among his people? You should. Do you believe that when the good news is preached, even to a dying people, even to a perishing population, do you believe when the good news is preached in the streets, as Jonah did, that God is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, he's abounding in loving kindness. Even the people who are wicked and rebellious, do you see it as a sign that God is about to do something? Boy, I do. Through the Holy Scriptures, God, God has trained believers of each age. He's trained us to recognize that when God's Word is faithfully proclaimed, He is prepared to do something great, to bring glory to his beloved son. God is prepared to move mountains. His spirit is, is prepared to move. All God asks is that we have a little confidence. Even the faith, the size of a mustard seed, that his word will accomplish what he has promised Knowing this that knowing that this is a you know reliable of pat reliable pattern of God. Jonah sure thought it was. Knowing this is a reliable pattern of God, um, when the scriptures are read, and when there is the word of the Lord being faithfully proclaimed to the people. Do you expect them to respond? And do you expect them to place everything else aside to do the Lord's work? Boy, I see the terror in some of your eyes. Some eyes are saying, they're replying, well, I don't know. 
what's the Lord going to ask me to do? Place yourself in Israel's shoes. If evidence can be shown that God has clearly spoken and said, it is now the time for you to build my temple. If that can be clearly shown from Scripture, are you going to finally rise up and build God's temple? I believe we are. Haggai will say, enough of the delays, uh, enough of the excuses, you know, enough of playing the reindeer games. Away with the distractions that have been preventing you from building God's temple. And we're going to have a little overview next week of some of the things that the Israelites have been using to pass away their time. And the Lord of hosts is going to say to them, Consider your ways. Isn't that, isn't that attractive? He's going to say it twice in the coming context. Consider your ways. There are a few last things that we should observe about verse 1 before we depart today. First is the, the straightforward historicity of the record. In both Haggai and in Zechariah, we read these events occurred in the second year of Darius. Some like to say Darius. And a specific month is given. Folks, the Old Testament is very different from what some of us were told when we were young. The books of the prophets never begin once upon a time. These all occurred as documented events that are now recorded as written in the chronicles of history. The word of the Lord comes to the leaders through Haggai. He's a chosen spokesman for God, Haggai. Folks, prophets, they were... Um, they were divinely employed by God. They were his workers uh, to speak at a time when the scriptures were not yet complete. Um, Hebrews 1 verse 1 says this, God, after he long ago spoke to the fathers in the prophets in many portions and in many ways, uh, in these last days has spoken to us in his Son. So with the full revelation of Jesus Christ already recorded and secure. 
we aren't searching for guys walking around in sack, sackcloth and ashes and, you know, wearing camel's hair and eating locusts and wild honey and, and other stuff like that anymore. After almost 2,000 years, there is nothing new to add to Jesus Christ. That, that phase is over. The last book of the Bible, uh, that is Revelation, sternly warns that no one shall add to the prophecies in this book. The canon isn't open where now there's just more and more prophets speaking and we just keep adding, adding Sunday to Sunday. The canon is closed. And with exhaustive repetition throughout the New Testament, exhaustive repetition throughout the New Testament, Christians are reassured that the very next revelation of God that we are to expect is not another prophet named Joseph Smith of the Mormons. It's not Ellen G. White of the Seventh-day Adventists. It's not prophecies by Charles Taze Russell of the Jehovah Witnesses. What those prophecies that they call them have resulted in is religious cults. We aren't waiting for some new information on Jesus. We've got it all in the Word of God. But the very next revelation from God that we are to receive is the revelation of Jesus Christ coming in the clouds. Scripture assures that every eye will see Him. You're not going to get to miss out on it. As He is revealed from heaven with His mighty angels in flaming fire. That is what the church is to expect. That's the next revelation of God. The prophets of old and apostles, God bless them, they became the foundation, if you're tracking with me. There's a foundation built upon the apostles and prophets. Jesus Christ himself the cornerstone. And their messages were always validated through miracles, signs, wonders. In the Old Testament, a very specific prediction that had to be very accurate at the precise time. And, and God used something during Haggai's prophetic ministry it validated him to the Jewish people. Uh, they, they have always accepted Haggai as a true prophet in their canon. We aren't exactly sure what God used as the validating feature. Of course, his prophetic ministry, this is important, Haggai and Zechariah, uh, Haggai's prophetic ministry is affirmed in the book of Ezra, the priest, major contribution there. This is the real deal. And the only prophet to speak after Haggai and Zechariah is Malachi. And what does Malachi say they were waiting for? They were waiting for the Lord to return to his temple. Isn't that something? I'm processing this uh, this week, and I was thinking, since Haggai is real short, 
uh, just two chapters. Um, it won't take us a long number of months. And I was thinking, boy, with all the direction that this is pointing towards, we might have to make a, a short stop into Malachi. Not the whole thing, but a short stop into Malachi after we wrap up this book. Maybe I can, maybe I can knit it into Haggai. But Malachi is the one, you know, that, that said there would be com one coming uh, in the spirit of Elijah that would make the path straight for the Lord. That was the close of the Old Testament canon. We end with Malachi. And where does the New Testament open up? With Jesus Christ coming to his temple. Fascinating. Fascinating record. Along with Zechariah, Haggai spoke directly to Zerubbabel, the governor, Joshua, the high priest, and through his prophesying, through the message contained in this book called Haggai, God stirred his people to build. I believe Haggai is going to stir his people, the Lord's people, again. We're going to continue next week um, when God invites us or where God invites us to consider our ways. Very politely, consider your ways. And we'll take a good look at how our lives are being consumed. And I believe that God is going to show us that he is about to do something great again.